Well, thank you guys. That was wonderful. Yeah. What a great way to start off our, our Christmas season, this Advent season, and uh, what a joy to know that it centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I so much love this banquet because it gets us going in the right direction this time of year, doesn't it? Um, we'll be bombarded by all kinds of uh, songs and choruses and shopping malls and places, and, and yet we stay focused on who the Lord Jesus is and sing beautiful songs like that to remind us. Boy, what a joy to hear that. Um, it's great. Glad you're here tonight. What a, what a great time. Come out and uh, get to know new people, have a great meal, and then uh, hear some wonderful music and sing together. And then we're now we're going to turn to the Word of God. When we began to think about who we wanted to come and teach, uh, one of the blessings that God has just given Riverbend is we have so many friends of the ministry, uh, people who we do ministry together with, and we began to think of that list. And Somewhere along the line, we came up with Ernie's name, and uh, we, we love Dr. Ernie Baker. He has been such a blessing to our church, um, to many of our men here. Uh, uh, Brian and Tom have had just tremendous relationships with him. Uh, we've got to know Ernie and, and Rose really well, and, and, and he comes and reinforces and helps us as we develop the seminary and our biblical counseling degrees and tracks. He has been a vital part of that, and so what a blessing to have him. I uh, I just want to read a little bit about him so you know him just a little more, and then he's going to come and open the Word of God with us tonight. Um, Ernie got his, uh, his doctor of ministry in um, Westminster Theological Seminary. He serves currently at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville. He's the pastor of counseling and discipleship. He's been in ministry for 41 years. He started in Virginia and has been a prof out at Masters University out west in California. He continues to serve um, online in their uh, chairs or online biblical counseling program there. Uh, he is closely tied in. He's a fellow with uh, uh, ACBC Counseling. Uh, we're very grateful for that, and he coordinates so many things. He helps us as well here. Um, he, he's married to his dear wife, uh, Rose. She's here with him today. Uh, he's blessed with six children, three boys, three girls. Don't know how you did that, but... Um, Praise the Lord for that. They have 11 grandchildren. Is that correct? 11 grandchildren. And uh, it says here that he can testify the truth of 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. What a great statement. I saved the best for last, Ernie, and I, whoever wrote this for you, I really appreciate this because this is what we see in you. And one of the reasons why we want you here tonight. Ernie is passionate about people. And he's serving them for the glory of God. I love the way that's worded. I love that thinking. And he and the relevance of the Bible for many counseling issues that humans face. He loves to mentor them, disciple them, and he finds great joy watching people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ and each other. And I think that's a great statement. Ernie, would you come and break the word of God for us? Please give him a hand as he makes his way here. <laughs> there, I finally arrived. <laughs> it's great to be here with you. Uh, what a wonderful way for us to start our Christmas season as well and uh, get to go on a date with my wife and to get to dress up. And <clears throat> you know that you're loved because you got me to put on a tie tonight. Uh, that's really hard uh, for me, but uh, it's okay for a very special occasion like this and to have good food and to be with friends. 
So this is just a great evening to sing Christmas songs uh, together and to worship the Lord. Uh, we're going to spend some time in Isaiah for a few minutes. And my desire for you <clears throat> as we spend time in Isaiah is to be awed with the coming one, just like Isaiah was awed with the coming one. Uh, I've been enamored and love the book of Isaiah for many years, and any time that I don't know what to do with my quiet time, I always go back to Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah, uh, my, my thinking with Isaiah is that if the Apostle Paul thought that it was important to be saturated with the book of Isaiah, I need to be saturated with the book of Isaiah. So I want to commend the book of Isaiah uh, to you for your own meditation during this Christmas season. And I hope that the same result will come that happened in Isaiah's life as you're about to see in, in a few minutes, and that is that you're awed with the coming one and worship the coming one. I was trying to think of an analogy of what it's like to explain the book of Isaiah in 30 minutes. So this is uh, the best that I can come up with. The analogy that came to my mind right away is I have a thir 30 minutes to explain to you the Library of Congress. The Library of Congress, do you know how many volumes are in the Library of Congress? 164 million items in their inventory. Uh, you could take 30 minutes easily just to explain the Thomas Jefferson collection in the Library of Congress. Thomas Jefferson donated his personal library to the Library of Congress, 6,000 volumes, and that was one of the first sets uh, to kick off the Library of Congress. So I feel a little bit overwhelmed in trying to explain to you the book of Isaiah now in 30 minutes, but I'm going to do the best that I can. Uh, before we get into Isaiah chapter 6, which is going to be the first section that we'll look at, <clears throat> I want to talk to you about prophecy, fulfilled prophecy from the Old Testament. And this is meant to encourage you and give you confidence in the days that we're living in that if the Lord's promises of coming the first time were fulfilled, his promises of coming the second time will be fulfilled. So we can live with great hope in these trying days that the Lord is coming again. The prophets, uh, there are over 300 references to the coming of the Messiah in the Old Testament. But there are 60 specific major prophecies in the Old Testament, many of them in the book of Isaiah, about the coming Messiah and who he was going to be, down to the details that his clothes were going to be gambled over as he was hanging on the cross, where he was going to be born. Now, somebody has done the math on this, and again, this is meant to encourage you with the book of Isaiah and the other prophetic books of how precise scripture is. Someone has done the math on this, and they used, I don't know why they picked this number, but a mathematician named Peter Stoner uh, did the math on this using the science of probability, and he used eight of the specific prophecies of the coming Messiah, and he said the probability that any one person throughout history could fulfill just eight of the 60 major prophecies from the Old Testament is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you're a math person, you know what that means. But for those of us that are not math people, let, uh, people, let me explain that to you. 1 in 10 to the 17th power, so that's a 1 with 17 zeros behind it. I don't even know what number that is. That is so big that I, I don't, it's, it's beyond trillion. So whatever the next number is beyond trillion, uh, that's what that number is. 
Now, that doesn't help me as a non-mathematician, so I need something uh, really practical. And we are sitting uh, with some folks that uh, moved here from Texas, so you're going to appreciate this illustration. Uh, Peter Stoner said, uh, here is that probability. You would have to take 10 to the 17th silver dollars and put them on the state of Texas lying flat. It would cover the whole state of Texas two feet deep. You could mark one of them, stir the whole mass thoroughly, blindfold a man, and tell him he gets one chance to pick the right silver dollar. That is the probability of one in 10 to the 17th power that one person, and we know that person is Jesus Christ, could fulfill just eight of the 60 major prophecies that are in the Old Testament. I hope you're encouraged already. Uh, just even that small thought makes me want to worship at this Christmas time. Now let's dig into the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is the most quoted book. This would be a little bit debated, and you have some Old Testament scholars here, I'm sure, that might want to debate me on this. But I have become convinced that the book of Isaiah is the most quoted book in the New Testament. Paul quotes or alludes to the book of Isaiah 34 times. If Paul was saturated with Isaiah, you need to be saturated with Isaiah. If you want to understand Paul's way of thinking, you need to understand Isaiah. The New Testament writers quote the book of Isaiah 90 times. Now, one of my seminary professors said he believed that there were 411 either quotes or allusions in the New Testament to the book of Isaiah. That's a lot of quotes or a lot of allusions uh, to the book of Isaiah in the New Testament. Let me give you one example of that. Maybe it'll give you insight into Paul's thinking in Ephesians chapter 6. What's Ephesians 6 about? The whole armor of God. If you look at the quotes in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, you'll see that many of them are, when you're trying to understand the armor of God, what does Paul mean by put on the whole armor of God, you'll see that he quotes uh, Isaiah. And what's he talking about in Isaiah? Well, he's talking about exactly what we're talking about, the coming promised one. And what's the theme of the book of Ephesians? The theme of the book of Ephesians is Christ is the head of his body, the church, and now you are in him, the head, who is the head uh, of his body, the church. You want to understand putting on the armor of God, you got to understand that what Paul's talking about is your position in Christ and putting on the completeness of who you are in Christ. I find that a, a very encouraging thought from Ephesians 6. Now let's be awed by the book of Isaiah and in particular with the person that Isaiah talks about. And I'm going to start with Isaiah 6. I had a really hard time deciding which three chapters I wanted to give you a peek at. But I've chosen Isaiah 6, Isaiah 11, and then Isaiah 45. And you're going to see with each one of them that the outcome is exactly the same that Isaiah wants us to worship. Isaiah is a worshiper and he wants us to be worshipers. And then at the end, I'm going to give you some specific ideas of how you can be a worshiper uh, during this Christmas season. It ought to be easy when you're at a church that really wants to help you worship. So I'm going to give you some ideas at the end. Another name for a prophet is a seer. So each one of my points is going to be about what does the prophet see? Well, think about what he sees in Isaiah 6. This is an awe-inspiring theme. 
or seen. He says this, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. Imagine this. Try to enter this scene. With the train of his robe filling the temple, seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Get the scene here. It's antiphonal. They're calling back and forth to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the other answers, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let's stop and think about that and why it's important for the book of Isaiah. One of the themes of the book of Isaiah is idolatry. And part of the reason that the people of Israel and the people of Judah were having problems is because they were worshiping idols. And you're going to hear more about this as I complete reading the chapter in just a moment. But Isaiah was going to them as a prophet, and they were going to hear, but they weren't going to hear. They were going to have hard hearts. They were going to see, but they really weren't going to see. And there's this contrast between Isaiah's response to what he's seeing in Isaiah 6 and the people's response because of the hardness of their heart. Why is Isaiah 6 important? Because he's trying to set up for us who the great and glorious God of the universe is. He is Yahweh God of the universe who knows all the stars by name. Uh, He created the world in six days and he created all of those billions of galaxies that are in the universe. And he knows, according to Isaiah 40, he knows all the stars by name. Uh, he, He uses a really important phrase here when he says the whole earth is full of his glory. Glory in Hebrew is an exciting word. Uh, when we say that somebody carries a lot of weight, somebody's a weighty person, we're not necessarily saying they're a big person. We're saying they have a lot of authority. That's the Hebrew word here. God's glory is the combination of all of his characteristics that go into making him authoritative and weighty. And the way scripture pictures this is by brilliant light called the Shekinah glory of God. So God in all of his greatness and God with all of his combined attributes, it's all brought down into one word called his glory. And Isaiah sees Yahweh God in all of his glory. Now, what's the result? You're going to see the result. It would be the same result with us. Uh, Isaiah literally says this, I'm falling apart. (laughs) Uh, Verse 5. Then I said, woe is me, for I'm ruined. I'm I'm falling apart. Uh, He's humbled. He's awed. I'm a man of unclean lips. Light reveals sin. So the Shekinah glory of God reveals to him just how filthy he is as a human. That's what happens when you're in the presence of God. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Now this is a strange missionary call. He gets called to missions, but 
God says to him, the people are hard-hearted. They're not going to listen because of their idolatry. He said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and repent and be healed. This is what happens with idolatry. Idolatry promises big things, but it hardens hearts. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Isaiah's heart is melted because he is in the right place before God. But the people of Israel and Judah, their hearts are not in the right place because they're serving idols and they're apathetic and they're hard hearted. Uh, They're hearing the same messages that Isaiah is hearing, but they, because of the idolatry of their heart, they're cold and they're indifferent. Then I said, Lord, how long is this going to be? And he answered, until the cities are devastated and without inhabitant and the houses are without people and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And this is an important verse for my next point. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it and it will be again subject to burning like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. And that's going to be my next point is that Isaiah sees a branch. But we'll get to that. Hold that thought. We'll get there in just a moment. Now, who is this that Isaiah is seeing? Listen to John chapter 12 and be awed. He is seeing, he sees Yahweh, God. So he's seeing the Trinity. He's seeing the Godhead. But John tells us in particular, he is seeing none other than our Savior, the promised one, the Lord Jesus Christ. I find it interesting here in John 12. Here's a no-brainer statement for you for the evening. It's right before John 13. And uh, why is that important? Because John 13 triggers the Last Supper and the Lord's on his way to the cross. So this is the last days of Jesus. And John wants us to see who is this person that's about to get nailed to the cross. Now what happens in John chapter 12? A woman named Mary... Bow downs and wor- bows and worships with very expensive perfume. There's that worship theme again. She's in the presence of Jesus and she worships. And then John says this. These things, verse 36, these things Jesus spoke and he departed and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing him. Does that sound familiar? Sounds just like Isaiah. What Isaiah said was going to happen. They're going to have ears to hear, but not hear. They're going to have eyes to see, but not see. It's because their hearts were hardened. So they're seeing these miracles, but they don't believe that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. And don't miss this. This ties it right together with Isaiah 6. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Who was Isaiah seeing in Isaiah 6? He was seeing the promised one, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's Isaiah's response? Isaiah's response is humility. Isaiah's response is brokenness. Isaiah's response is awe before the the Lord of hosts who he is seeing in all of his his glory. It is so easy to worship idols at this time of the year. 
I mean, just think about what America serves this time of the year. <clears throat> it's really important uh, for people that follow uh, markets and uh, our economy to find out how, many how much money was spent on the day after Thanksgiving. Our country is so consumed with consumerism. It is so easy for materialism to become the security and significance in our life. I want to urge you, beg you, plead with you, don't worship materialism at Christmas. Worship the promised one, the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you tell if something has become an idol? There's a new catechism for children called the New City Catechism. And I was really blessed recently when uh, some of our grandchildren, uh, did, this happened with some of our grandchildren. Their other grandmother, Grandma Brenda, was visiting them up in New Hampshire. And she was telling them about the Sunday school lesson that she was about to teach. She was going back home to North Carolina and she was going to teach a Sunday school lesson about idolatry. And she turned to our grandchildren and said, do you know what idols are? And they perked right up and they repeated perfectly from the New City Catechism, idolatry is trusting in created things other than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance and security. And she went, oh, okay, that's not the definition I'm going to give, but that's a very good definition. And it made me very proud of my children that they are discipling their children. What is idolatry? It's a major theme in the book of Isaiah. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. The Lord Jesus Christ is the promised one. Isaiah wants you to be awed with him this Christmas time and not awed with the presents you're going to get at Christmas time. Now let's go on to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, I finished Isaiah 6 by talking about a stump. You know, there's some trees that are just hard to kill. <laughs> Have you ever had that experience? You've cut down a tree and the thing just won't die. You cut down a tree and you go back and there's a sprout coming out of the stump. These days that Isaiah was living in were really dark days for the people of Israel and Judah. First of all, there was going to be the Assyrian captivity. And they were mean, nasty people. It looked really dark for the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It looked like the tree was being totally destroyed. And then after Assyria was going to come the mean, nasty Babylonians. And they were going to spend time in captivity in Babylon. It looked like the tree was going to die. But listen to Isaiah 11. In the midst of this darkness and this insecurity, when it looked bleak, he promises this. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots. So what does Isaiah see next? He sees a branch. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And what will this person be like, this promised one? And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. Uh, would you agree with me that things look pretty dark politically at the moment? Uh, a different type of political leader is promised here. Remember back in Isaiah 9? 
he, uh, and I, that was one of the passages I thought, it's a Christmas banquet. I have to read Isaiah 9. I thought, okay, I'm not going to go to Isaiah 9. Everybody's going to expect I'm going to go to Isaiah 9. So I'm not going to go to Isaiah 9. But remember Isaiah 9, he's talking about, for unto us a child will be born and a son will be given and the government will be on his shoulders. He's predicting a new type of government leader. It's about time. <laughs> a new type of government leader. And what will this government leader be like? He will have wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will be a leader who delights in the fear of the Lord and will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor. Doesn't that sound wonderful? It sounds refreshing that there's a coming a time when there's a future kingdom when a king named Jesus will be on his throne. And one of the things you have to understand about Isaiah and any of the prophetic books is that there is, all, there is always an already and a not yet. There's a already and we are experiencing some of this now. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been saved and he is your king in your life. But there is coming a time, the not yet, when he will reign and there will be a new type of government on the earth. Uh, we have great, re you know, the next 10 years may look pretty cruddy here, but it's beautiful in the future. Let your gaze break through to eternity and think about the coming hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a new type of political leader. This branch in Isaiah 11 becomes a banner, a battle flag banner at the end of the chapter. Now think of Isaiah 11 and 12 this way. Think of Isaiah 11 as Exodus chapter 14. If you remember what happens in Exodus chapter 14, it is the Exodus and uh, crossing the Red Sea and a great deliverance. Well, there's going to be a second Exodus, and it's prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11. Listen to this. It will happen on that day, so the branch becomes this battle banner, on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria and Egypt and Pathros and Cush and Elam and Shinar and Hamath and from the islands of the sea. And he will lift up a banner for the nations and will assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. I personally don't believe that's happened yet. It's, there's an already, it's starting to happen, but there's a not yet. It's going to happen even more. And there is a coming one who is going to regather his people from the four corners of the earth to his kingdom. Well, just like Exodus chapter 14, what happens in Exodus 15? Exodus 15 is the first song in the Bible, and it's the song of Moses, and he rejoices. Well, look at Isaiah chapter 12. What does Isaiah do? Just like with Isaiah 6, Isaiah 12, he worships. You will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you do comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord. 
call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Uh, please hear the connection between this and the Great Commission. The Great Commission go into all the world has huge worship implications. Revelation chapter 5, what are people from every tongue and tribe and nation doing around the throne? In Revelation chapter 5, they are worshiping. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Isaiah prophesied this coming one. He wants you to worship this, this Christmas time. He wants you to have hope at this Christmas time. You may be discouraged about the political atmosphere in our country, but there is a coming ruler who is the perfect king, the perfect ruler, and he will rule with justice. My hope can't be in political parties in our country. My hope has to be in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is the coming righteous king. My hope cannot be in my Christmas presents. And what Christmas present am I going to get? My hope has to be in the greatest gift that was ever given to mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you'll take time to worship uh, this Christmas time. That's what Isaiah wants you to do. Listen to verse 5 of Isaiah 12. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. <clears throat> I have the blessing of seeing people's lives changed on a regular basis, and we just had a miracle happen in our counseling ministry. There's a man who's been addicted to substances for decades. He was ruining both his personal family and his extended family. His parents, and maybe some of you can relate to this, his parents have invested thousands upon thousands of dollars in him trying to bail him out and sending him to detox centers only to see him fail again. We have prayed, I think, maybe within the first week or the second week that we came here six years ago, uh, the parents started telling me the story about their son and how broken he was and the mom was crying. And that was one of the first counseling stories I heard at First Baptist Church. Well, this man got to a place of brokenness about four or five months ago and he finally gave in to going away to a biblical counseling substance abuse ministry center. And that man came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. They're going to have a, he thought he was saved because he had prayed a prayer when he was a child. But he realized for the first time, I never truly became a follower of Jesus Christ. They're going to have a totally different Christmas this season. His parents are rejoicing. Just last Sunday night, I spent some time with him after the evening service and prayed with him and prayed with his wife and tried to encourage them. She's been an amazing trooper standing by him and wanting to preserve the marriage, even though it, it would have been very understandable if she would have divorced him many years ago. Uh, that's the already. It's already happening, but there's also a not yet where this is going to be totally fulfilled in the future and where the earth, people from all over the earth, people from tongue and tribes, every tongue and tribe and nation are going to be gathered around the throne and worshiping. Let's go to the last one, and you're going to see the same result, worship. Isaiah 45, <clears throat> second half of the book now. Here's what Isaiah sees. Isaiah is a seer. So what does he see? Here, Isaiah sees the true God who promises and delivers. Verse 20, gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol. 
uh, a theme I should mention to you about idols that, or Isaiah is that there's a huge second section in Isaiah that just mocks idolatry. It's kind of fun to read. God, God is making fun of idols. They carry about their wooden idol and they pray to a God who can't even save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, why is God saying this? Why is God saying, I've told you things ahead of time. Even from ancient days, I've told you things. I've prophesied things. I declared things. Why is he doing that? Because he's trying to show them you're serving idols who can't tell you the future. But I'm telling you the future and everything I tell you comes true. The Lord Jesus Christ came the first time just like he said he was going to. He's going to come a second time, just like the prophetic books say. Here, one of the things that's in Isaiah, it's amazing in this chapter, back in verse 1, he says, thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. What's the big deal about that? He named Cyrus, the Persian king, 150 years before his time. Why does God do that? Because he says, I am telling you ahead of time who your deliverer is going to be. I'm even going to tell you his name so that the people that live 150 years from now in the future, they're going to read the book of Isaiah and they're going to see, oh, every time God says something's going to happen, that's exactly what happens. So God says, I tell you. So what does that ahead of time so that you know I'm the true God? So here's what he says about himself. There is no other God besides me a righteous God and a savior. There is none except me. So turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. What does that mean? Well, God can't swear by anything higher than himself. So he swears by his own name. I have sworn by myself and the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and it will not turn back. If I tell you something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And here's what's going to happen in the future. And I hope you're ready for it. That to me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. And they will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Does that sound familiar? Uh, that's Paul in Philippians chapter 2. And what does Paul say is going to happen in the future? Listen to Philippians 2. It's already happening in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a worshiper now. And he wants you to worship at this Christmas. But listen to Philippians chapter 2. Paul quotes this passage and he says this. After the amazing passage where Jesus empties himself and he becomes a servant. He's, he's so wonderful. Jesus is so wonderful. He's a servant. He's the God of the universe who knows all the stars by name. But yet he bows down on his, his knees and he washes dirty feet. What an amazing savior. What an amazing king that we get to serve. And here's what Paul then says. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to nuance this just a little bit in conclusion with you. He does not say that at the name Jesus, every knee should bow. I don't think that's what Paul's after here. 
He's trying to point us back to Isaiah of who does Isaiah say Jesus is. It's not the name Jesus that everyone is going to bow to. What do they bow to? Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you see Lord, you should think the name Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. That's what it means in Isaiah chapter 45. Who is this one that we worship? He's the king. He's the creator of the universe. What should you be feeling at this Christmas? You should be feeling awe. You should be feeling humility as you think of your sinfulness. But then you should think exhilaration. He died for your sin. So even though your sin has been exposed by the Shekinah glory of God, he died for your sin. And he died in your place. If you're here tonight as a a guest and maybe you're not a regular attender of this church, I would be very remiss if I did not invite you to become a follower of Jesus Christ tonight. I would love to talk to you about what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. What do we do at this Christmas? Take advantage of your worship services. You're going to be here. So come to the worship service and discipline your mind when you're singing those hymns Focus on the words. You know what's going to happen. If you're like me, your mind's going to be thinking about, okay, I've got this event coming up this week, and i got this to happen, and I still need to buy this Christmas present. And you're going to have to say, no, soul, I'm not doing that right now. I've got to take advantage of this hour. You have a beautiful opportunity when you're in this room on Sundays to sing praises and engage your soul with the words. As you're singing them, pray them back to the Lord as prayer to the Lord. Take time during this Christmas season to meditate. You know what I'm going to recommend. It's the book of Isaiah. Take some time to get familiar with the book of Isaiah. It's an absolutely amazing book. You know what one of the most important things you can do is? Be here on Christmas morning. Uh, It's going to be so tempting on Christmas morning and say, we have family traditions. I have to stay in my pajamas on Christmas morning. You need to be with the people of God, and you need to worship. It's a religious holiday, so what should it be about? The Lord Jesus Christ. We should be here worshiping the Lord on Christmas morning. You'll have plenty of time to go home and put your pajamas on. Uh, Be here worshiping the Lord on Christmas morning. Let me pray for us, and I want to pray for you that you would have just a beautiful, worship-filled Christmas. Lord, thank you for Isaiah. It is such a gift. Thank you for inspiring him to tell us 2,700 years ago who this promised one is. We know that some of these prophecies have already been fulfilled. Some of them are yet to be fulfilled. You fulfilled them the first time. And just as people waited with anticipation for the coming Messiah, Lord Jesus, we are waiting for you to come the second time. And we would say with the early church, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, We do not want to be led astray by all the cultures, idols. We want to find our hope and our satisfaction and our confidence in you. I pray for Riverbend Community Church, that their hope would not be in political leaders, but that their hope would be in you, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that this Christmas season, they would be worship-filled 
as they come here on Sundays and sing songs and hear your word proclaimed. And I know, Lord, that they will find deep satisfaction for their souls. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.